The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Well, it's great to be together once more in this strange Zoom universe that we're in. Um, And I always remind myself that we're also completely personally together wherever we are. And that really does feel very sweet. I I gotta say that uh, part of the sweetness or the uh, vibrancy that I'm feeling right now in these early days of autumn also has to very much um, do with having just completed uh, in community the really deep, the intensiveness of the Jewish High Holy Day season, which could sound in, in some circles like a really bizarre way to start a Zen Dharma talk. <laughs> but then again, um, given that in our Sangha, we have quite a number of folks who, who practice what I would call a multi-stream spirituality. Uh, you know, one, one particular Sangha member that's, you know, very much in my heart is our beloved Kaku Sensei, who, you know, for years uh, was a, a pastor, a UCC minister. And, and how he uh, experienced that and expressed that. And I remember just talks we would have about that are very much with me still. And it's an interesting thing because a lot of these uh, multi-stream practices that, that connect with Zen practice, particularly, have to do with uh, folks who actually practiced Zen and then maybe made their way to, to uh, you know, like Rabbi Alan Liu, who co-founded a Jewish meditation center with Norman Fisher. Uh, they both were practicing Zen for years. They were best friends, and then one of them. Uh, goes and discovers through Zen practice that his calling is to be a rabbi and the other continues as a Zen teacher, but somehow organically they they start this Jewish meditation group and after uh, Rabbi Vu passed on, um, you know, that, that center continues with a rabbi who is his student and, and with Norman Fisher. And uh, having practice there and also in some Jewish renewal communities where some of the folks there um, are practicing some form of, of Buddhism, so to speak. It's really interesting just to, to really dive deep into what's the actual practice. And also in my work as a healthcare chaplain, to see that this isn't limited 
to just uh, folks practicing Buddhism and other spiritual paths, but also just generally, and, and really it's not new. And, you know, we could say there's religion and there's spirituality and a lot of us might um, identify certain ways that we are in the world that don't particularly uh, get identified as religious, so to speak, uh, but we would call them spiritual practices. And so if, if there's something about that, that phrase multi-stream that seems, seems very visceral and, and that it can actually flow through the labels and really get to the heart of what are we practicing? Um, and also, what are we practicing particularly here in our expression of, of Zen that connects us to all these other ways of, of being in the world in, in a heartfelt way, in a way that really brings us closer to one another, in a way that, that, that brings healing to wherever we are and whoever we're with and always including ourselves. And one, when I was really considering this, what came to me is that what we're actually practicing is a culture of compassion. And another way to say this would be or might be beloved community. And some people say that in, in Zen, we don't talk very directly about love, but I think it depends who you talk to, <laughs> who's talking, right? And also there's this, um, there's this way of, of, of saying, and it's been said that there are four aspects of love that uh, Buddhist practice really articulates. And the four aspects or the four qualities include kindness or friendliness, or also been coined as kindfulness, and then there's compassion, there's joy, particularly a relational joy, and, and equanimity. And that actually all of those four qualities flow through and with each other. So we could explore um, all of this through any one of them. But it seemed to me when I was really attuning to what is this, uh, this, this culture that we're really bringing forth, that's, that's so important. It's important always, and of course, because of the particularity of the, the, the moment that we're in now, it just feels like passion is really key. And so just to, just to imagine culture of compassion, beloved community, how do you, how do you touch into those right now in your own embodied presence.
and being uh, together, all of us here. But the thing about beloved community, you know, in its context of where that, that phrase came forth and also as it was reshaped by Dr. King and of course in, in recent years through, through all the various movements um, is, again, we could say a lot about that, but really that there's this key piece that there's a vision of society that's, that's rooted, that, that brings forth the healing of community through restorative justice. And that, that that quality is actually pretty radical, depending on your vantage point, um, because at its centrality is that we're transforming society, or you can say we're shifting culture, um, which the Buddha also did in, in his historical context. And so it's, it's like narrative in general how we tell a story, how we frame what we're practicing brings out different emphasis. And so this, this thing of, of teasing out, what is this culture of compassion um, and emphasizing that, that, that's really important for where we find ourselves now and, and how we can really bring healing through our practice. So when I ask myself, well, what's the heart of this? You know, what does this have to do with Zen? What's the particular expression in um, Zen that's been transmitted to, to us and through us that's alive right now? And, and what, what came to me is that, you know, very simply, we are bodhisattvas. And what are bodhisattvas? Bodhisattvas are awakening beings. And we awaken together. And in doing that, we're transforming the world that we are. Um, and we have a great example of that that just happened, you know, during this, this week, which was that uh, our own beloved Mikio Roshi and David Loy led this, this workshop called Living and Taking Action in a Time of Ecological Crisis. So it doesn't have to be, so to speak, formal social activism, and yet we do, we do lean towards that a lot at the Zendo, <laughs> because it organically it, it comes through uh, who's showing up and what we're inclined to, but we also express it in many ways here at the Zendo and, you know, in all our relations. And you might, of course, wonder if there are any ancient stories that bring this forth in our tradition as well. And as is our common practice right here, there is a koan. And I'd like to, to share it with you. It might be familiar to some of you. It's, uh, it's case 54 from the Book of Serenity, Yunyan's Great Compassion. Here's the case. Yunyan asked Dawu, what does the Bodhisattva of Great Compassion do with so many hands and eyes? Dawu said, it's like someone reaching back to the pillow at night. Yunyan said, I understand. 
Or maybe if they were chatting today, you know, Yun Yang might have said, oh, I get it. Dao Wu say, how do you understand? Or what do you get? Yun Yang said, all over the body, hands and eyes. Dao Wu said, you said a lot there, but you got only 80%. Yun Yang said, what about you, elder brother? Dao Wu said, throughout the body, hands and eyes. There are many ways to approach a koan, right? Um, and I want to invite you for a moment just to actually, if you want to, you know, actually reach behind you, like you're reaching for a pillow, to actually get a physical sense of what that's like. Now, if you're like me and you haven't stretched your shoulder today, there's a little bit of like, oh, is there a pillow lower down? <laughs> I want to reach for it like that, you know? Um, but whatever that is, it, it just to, just to feel that, that physicality and, and to put your awareness in that hand and notice what the hand might be doing and also how the hand is, is connecting with what the arm is doing. There's, you know, where can you actually say the hand stops, the arm begins, the pillow, the whole, uh, you know, and for me, it gets me just moving. Now, I might also be moving because I'm very happy to say that I've been dancing a bit. I was dancing uh, with the Torah at a social distance. I wasn't holding it. I was wearing back, but, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, with a klezmer band going, it was really fun. And um, uh, recently in the park, uh, we started, uh, it's an Indian type of dance called Bhangra. I don't know if anyone's familiar with it, but it's also very high energy. It's lots of fun. Um, you continuously make mistakes. And uh, one thing I noticed when I watched our, our teacher, as uh, my inner critic was starting to kick in, um, and I was stumbling all over myself, because I noticed she was smiling the whole time. And I thought, oh, I'll just smile. Who cares what? Who cares what I'm doing? I'm just going to smile. And you know, it made such a difference. And I noticed that some of the steps I actually could get, but even the ones that I didn't get, I started to notice the people around me. And I also started to notice just the movement of all those bodies that we were, they were, we were all stumbling together. And that, that, that smile, that joy, that quality of love, uh, was was flowing with that sense of compassion for myself and also compassion for um and relief because what is compassion it's relieving a suffering it's relieving something that's it's misaligned it, it, it can be painful or or you know, it, just something out of joint something a little disconnected and and i remembered i mean I, when i say i remembered i remembered in my body Oh, wow, this is what it's like to move together and to feel the sky and the air and hear the kids over there who are stumbling over learning how to play soccer and, you know, the, the yoga people over there. <laughs> and then I noticed this woman who looked like she was probably in her 90s with her 
tiny dog named Peggy Sue, as she told me after the Buddy Holly song. And they were dancing too, including <laughs> the dog. You know, <laughs> I thought, here it is, you know, the whole Buddha Dharma right here. <laughs> so how can we really, um, how can we really flow with that, you know, in our moment to moment embodiment with everything that's going on? Well, there it is. That's a culture of compassion right there. It's, it can be really simple when we just bring ourselves into that. Um, you know, I remember also that There are many ways you know, to take this in. Um, our actual body-to-body -body practice, uh, which, you know, sooner or later, we're gonna have that opportunity uh, in person. There are these moments that are really inexplicable. Uh, I remember one of them that really brought this forth. Um, what is this, this flowing? What is this throughout the body? Hands and eyes. Uh, it, was a, it was one of our retreats, and I had the, um, the role of Jisha, or teacher's attendant, to, to Roshi. And one of the things during our eating meditation practice, our Oriyogi, as everybody's going to eat out of bowls, and there's a part in there where the Jisha brings uh, Roshi her bowls. And it can be very dramatic, the drums are going, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, but basically, it's a handoff, you know, giving the bowls. What I discovered in the intimacy of that is that form is, you arrive at her seat, bowed, she bowed, and then you drop down and you hand the bowls. Simple, right? But there was this wacky dance day after <laughs> meal after meal of this, this um, you know, whatever, it's a moment of truth, right? Whatever's there, anxiety, there it is. And so there would be these different uh, nuances of this dance, which would be, you know, at times I'm, I'm sort of like pushing the bowl at her subtly, like, here, here's the bowl. Or she'd be waiting because I'm hesitant. <laughs> There's that awkwardness. Um, and there were all these nuances that practicing with that meal after meal, then there's this moment where it's just, Drums going, you're moving, everything's moving, bow, drop, bowls, hands, bowls, you don't even have the words. There it is, you're up, bow, there it is. And that's, that's that sense of we're in our universality and our particularity all at the same time, and it's just this flow. And that's compassion. And I, I, can, I can still feel that right now. You know, and again, it, 
depending on you know what moves you just to just to imagine that 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 gesture you know is it like this or is it just here it is or you're receiving and it's just your hands are out with the ball and and this is why we're always practicing this culture of compassion as one body and as many bodies. So what's important about all that? It's really important where we situate ourselves in terms of how we're going to flow. And particularly, how are we going to flow when we're faced with something that's difficult? in terms of what we're unfamiliar with. You know, one of the areas that I've been focused on, you know, in terms of the impact of, of racism and how do we work with that, particularly in our sanghas, uh, is this very poignant story from uh, Resmaa Menachem, who wrote this book, My Grandmother's Hands. And and talking about many things, including racialized trauma, and he opens the book with this story of how, as a kid, he would rub his, his grandmother's hands you know, to soothe them. And one time he asked her, you know, Grandma, why are your hands all calloused over? I mean, they're nothing like mine. And she said it was from picking cotton. And at first the cotton would just really, you know, would rip your hands terribly. But eventually, just over and over and over again, they would callous over. I mean, even, even to share that, it's so painful. You know, if you were to rub your hands right now, and just, just imagine what is that, both to be the calloused hand and also to be the soothing hand, the flow of that ancestry all around. Uh, through us, through, through being, being part of this culture. You know, a culture of kind of bypassing universalism. We're all one, so we're equal, but we don't really look at equity. We are, um, we are here because of our ancestors, but I don't want to look at the parts that are really painful, um, that, that might even somehow be coming through me in ways that I don't recognize. And how can I be compassionate with that to, to change the world? Uh, and so I, this whole semantics, you know, this whole semantic recovery, which is really what we're doing in this practice, physically feeling that as throughout the body, that, that these hands, the, the oppressor and the, the, the 
victim and letting go of those labels, but really being able to bring healing to that relationship is also compassion. And it connects us with our ancestry, all our ancestors, and also with our descendants who are all alive in this moment. And so this, this culture of compassion is actually flowing and impacting, changing throughout space and time, like that dance, which is actually really enlivening. And uh, Roshi has a wonderful way to say this, you know, as often as the case, very simply, it's, it's from her wonderful book, uh, Most Intimate. And there, there's a section in there where she talks about all these ways that we can get overwhelmed by the suffering all around us. And, and we could also say, uh, as we do, you know, in our, when we have our atonement ceremony, Isatsu, or even when we just feel like each month, oh yeah, right, this is the time, facing that, all, all that's come through us that we're part of, and all the healing that we bring to it and being one with it. Here's what she writes, you know, that instead of being completely overwhelmed, she says, with compassionate intimacy, isn't that a great phrase, compassionate intimacy? We have agency. We can make a difference. There is pain, but the pain doesn't destroy us. No matter how inadequate we may feel, we're willing to get up every morning and try to do something. Sometimes it's something big in our world, like directly changing someone's life, a law, or a community action. Sometimes it's as simple as offering a smile to a sad face, a warm hand to someone in pain, or saying paper, not plastic. Or saying both. Or saying, we How often I've been affected by observing such kind and caring acts. We don't know how what we do affects the whole. Engaging intimately in the world, people do notice, they do hear you, we get into conversations and things change in small ways as well as in large ways. So if we can keep this going, if we can really keep our focus on as bodhisattvas, we are awakening together. And, and that particularly what we could focus on is that we're awakening a culture of compassion. This, this beloved community that's not a vision for, for way out there in the distant future or over there where things are just so. But that it's actually happening through our practice together for the benefit of all beings and to enjoy, to enjoy the wonder, the surprise and the blessing of this intimacy. 
Okay.